Vintage Church. How's everyone doing today? Y'all doing all right? Come on. Was well, good to see you, and I always save the best for last. We've had such a great time this morning. If you're new or visiting with us for the first time or the first time in a while, you're here on a very, very special uh, weekend. We actually are opening up a very, starting a very new teaching series where together we've been, we're going to be going through the book of First John. For those of you maybe new to church or maybe you're just coming back to church, we'd love to go uh, through the year uh, using series. It's a great opportunity for us to teach a specific topic or an idea. We also, from time to time, will go through a book of the Bible. I really, really want to encourage you as we're kind of rounding out the summer. How many of y'all know the world's going to turn up the volume like they always do in the fall? Kids go back to school. Uh, There's all kinds of things happening this fall. The best thing you can do right now is open up your calendar and honor God one day a week, the seventh day, the Sabbath, make that Sunday, be here. Uh, each week, we're going to be going through a different uh, a part of, uh, of a book. As a matter of fact, we're going to be talking spiritual warfare a lot uh, going into the fall. But now we're going to go into uh, this book written by uh, John. There are lots of Johns, Jameses, and Peters in the Bible, so it's important that we know what John are we talking about. How many of you guys know more than one John? We all know more than one John, so let's get that straight. This is the John that walked with Jesus. This is the one that was with Jesus in his inner circle, his three. And and when you're reading the Bible, I want to really help you understand how you need to read the Bible, specifically the New Testament. The New Testament, there's three different uh, writings uh, that serve three different purposes. For example, you have the books of uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all tell about the life and the story of Jesus, his miracles, his teachings, all of that. And what's so incredible is somehow through the power of the Holy Spirit, we get through each of those authors to see a different perspective perspective of Christ. I want to encourage you, if you're just starting in the Bible, start with the Gospels. Make sure that you get Jesus right first, because it's going to be very difficult for you to understand anything else from there. Well, after Jesus ascends, the Bible says that he sends his Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, we learn that the establishing of the church is there. Now, the church, much like what we're meeting in today, except probably less lights, less AC, and sandals instead of Nikes. Come on. All right. A little hotter, but he establishes the family of God. And this family of God absolutely explodes when God's spirit touches it. They get together. They start worshiping. They start learning. And as they're getting together, there's uh, problems that come up. Have you guys ever noticed that problems just seem to follow growth, right? Think about Jesus in the 5,000. Like it was his ministry. It was his miracles. It was his teaching that was actually causing the growth. And the growth caused the problems. They got into this desolate place without any food. So what happened? God had to bring a miracle. That's what started happening in the early church. They started growing and they had issues. And what happened was God took the disciples and he turned them into apostles. That word is really just like a kingdom entrepreneur. They started starting churches all over the ancient world. Okay, you might have read uh, the Apostle Paul was one of those church planners that gave his life to Christ, right? God met him on the road to Damascus and completely turned his life around. And he would go on to write the second type of literature in the New Testament, and that is letters to the church. These were letters to the church focusing on problems that the church has. Now, one of the things I want to I talk to you about, this, this is so important because I think sometimes in the modern world uh, with iPhones, we want to give a new purpose to the church, you got to understand that every one of the letters written in the epistles to the church was written to a church in response to a letter talking about all of their problems. How many of y'all got some problems? I see people come in all the time and like, man, I love this church. Everyone's just so friendly. They're so nice. Unlike that other church, a bunch of hypocrites and fakers. I said, man, those people are here too. Come on, somebody. 
What is that? Anytime God moves in his people, the enemy wants to come in and create division and problems. And so the disciples who walk with Jesus turned apostles with a couple extra. They start planting these churches and helping them learn how to fix practical problems. By the way, that is the number one uh, purpose of a spiritual family, to help you answer biblically from the word of God how you should act and thrive in the culture around you. That's actually our job. Did you know our job is not to talk you into what we want you to be caring about. Our job is to actually see what you care about and to help you live out God's plan for your life. Here's what I mean by that. Anything you learn on Sunday, you should be able to apply on Monday or it was worthless. It's not just about information and building our intellect, but God's word transforms us as we learn his mind on things. And you know, there's a third type of literature that you read in the New Testament, and those are letters to the pastors, to the overseers, to the leaders in the church. You know, sometimes leaders can forget what they're leading and why. Sometimes leaders can forget what their responsibility is, right? It's not to, face, to, to pastor Facebook, it's to actually pastor people, reminding them to go back to the word and reminding them to help people continue to plant seed, water that seed, and invite the Holy Spirit to change their life. That's the, that's, that's, those are really the three major uh, letters to, um, in the New Testament. You might be going, Pastor, that's a long explanation. Let's just get to it. Okay, you need to understand the context with which John is writing. He's writing to the church. John was a church in Ephesus. That's modern-day Turkey. As God blessed that church, Timothy, you might have known, took over the church at Ephesus. John was getting older in age, and so he began to actually mentor, coach, and pastor a region of churches, making sure that they were they were uh, that, that all of their answers to all of their problems were being uh, all of their uh, they got answers to all of their problems. And so you see this in the Word of God, and he's doing this. This is important because I, I chose this book. I actually love this, love this letter. It's one of my favorite letters because John is helping believers. Um, Go back to their foundation in a wicked culture. Here's what John was doing. The people in these churches, they lived in a woke culture. The people in these churches were being constantly bombarded, right, with false teaching, with, with people that were trying to make the church different than it should be. They were even changing the definition of words, right? Does that sound familiar? And as a result, the people in the church they started like struggling a bit because here's the real struggle. Um, I, I remember when I gave my life to Christ, okay, something miraculous happened. I mean, John 3 says that like literally I was born again. The Bible says that my, my spirit inside of me, right, was born again. All of a sudden, the next morning, I woke up with different desires. Like I wanted to honor God. All of a sudden, there were things that, like the things I used to do, you know, the sinful things I used to do, they weren't as fun anymore. It's like all of a sudden, like my, my conscience turned way up and all of a sudden I started just not having any, any fun in any of that stuff anymore. And through a process, God began to change me. But here's what a lot of believers think. They think that they give their life to Christ and all of a sudden their journey is over. All of a sudden they're going to wake up and because, they're, they're in, because their desires have changed, they, they think that uh, everything else has changed too. But here's what didn't change when I gave my life to Christ. My thoughts, my feelings, my emotions, my family of origin, my physiological body. There were things that were trained by the world that needed to be sanctified or retrained by God's word. The Bible calls that an ongoing process of sanctification. You give your life to Christ. And here's what makes it so confusing for the believer. You and I, we're not where we want to be. We're not where we used to be. And we live in the tension. 
So here's what we do. We're living our life in the world, shining our light to the world, while at the same time struggling with our own stuff. And it can be very disorienting. It can be very confusing. And if we're not careful, false teachers in the church and also the world outside the church can use that tension to gaslight us. Here's what they do. They, they say, because you're loving and honoring God, you're not being loving and, and, and kind to your neighbor. Be, because you're taking a stand for something, right, in your life, in your church, in your family, all of a sudden, it, you're, just, you're not being nice, right? By the way, the word gentle in the New Testament is used repeatedly, and, and it, doesn't mean, it doesn't mean weak. Gentle actually means power under control. What does that mean? Power on purpose. There is a time where you stand. There is a time where you use the influence God's given you to do what he's called you to do. This is what John speaks to in this entire letter. He's writing to this church and he's, he's giving them a framework of understanding for how to engage their faith in an unmistakable way. You should be different. Jesus said, woe to you if everyone speaks well of you. Okay, that's not necessarily a bad thing. And John lays out kind of this process. What are these things we're going to learn every week? What are these uh, characteristics of a believer that makes them unmistakable from anyone else in the world? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's what we're going to learn today. Let's jump in to 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. He opens up his book by saying, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of God. Of life. So he opens up here and he says, I, this is a first person account. I, I'm John. Nice to meet you. I was with Jesus. I walked with him. I was with him on the mount when he gave his first sermon called the Beatitudes. I was on the mountain where he transfigured in the, in the presence of Moses and Elijah. I was with Jesus there by the Sea of Galilee in the storm. I was there in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was betrayed. I was at the cross. I was at the tomb. I was at the ascension. John lived and walked with Jesus. What he's saying is, I'm not, listen, I'm giving you truth, not theory, what I'm about to tell you, like I don't care what anyone else says, I was there. He goes on in verse two through four and he says, that life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you. Everyone say me. me. Come on, say me. me. All right. So that you may also have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So he says, I saw it all. I saw it all. And when I speak it, guess what? You can have the same joy I had. The fellowship that I have with the disciples who walked with Jesus. Now in the church, you can have the same thing. You know, when you live in harmony with God, you will live in true friendship with others who walk in harmony with God. That's what he's saying. He goes on to say in 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. Remember, these were letters written by John and read to the church by pastors much like this. And I'm sure pastors paraphrase, you know, kind of like the message translation of the Bible, a little paraphrase here and there. 
Okay, but it's interesting when you look at a sermon. Anytime I sit down to write a sermon or I write a message or I write something, right, I always think through um, a form or an order. What needs to be said first? I always start with the foundational things. By the way, today's message is the foundation for the next four weeks. We're going to build on that foundation just like he does in his letter. It's interesting. He starts by saying, you know what? I saw it. I'm going to testify it to you so you can also see it and believe it. And then he immediately goes to light and darkness, right and wrong, up and down. Here he's talking about truth is what he's talking about. God is the light. Everything that God touches, everything that that light is shined into gets better. There is a truth. This is interesting. God is in the light, but he also is the light. He is the truth. This is so important because when I gave my life to Christ, like, like I accepted what the Bible said about him was true. The power of the Holy Spirit changed my life. I, you know, I started learning and walking, but I realized I had to contend with this thing called the flesh. Matter When you read the letters, most of the letters are dealing with Christians and dealing with their flesh. What is that? That's the nurture part of you, the biological part of you that because of sin wants to fight against everything God's doing in your life. Okay, and the flesh, this is important, the flesh wants to take you into the darkness. Here he says, wait a minute, there is no flesh in Jesus. There is only truth. You, ha- you, you hook your wagon to him and you're gonna be just fine. And you know, I think it's important as believers to acknowledge what these disciples turned apostles acknowledged. And that is, there is good and there is evil. There is right and wrong and there is sin. There is sin. See, that's a word most pastors don't want to use today because it makes the people that are hearing it feel uncomfortable. Well, you're not, I'm not one of those pastors. Because every time I heard the word sin and was convicted of my own sin, my life has only grown and gotten better as I've obeyed him and shined light into that dark place. So I want to define a little bit of sin for us because he starts right here because he says you've got to go back to the truth. There is a truth. Turn down the dial on TV, mute the notifications on your phone, tune your ear into what I say, who I am. What is sin? Well, sin's actually an archery term. It's an archery term that means to miss the mark. Does anybody in here bow hunt? Anybody bow hunt? When you first started, you probably didn't hit the, hit the paper too good, huh? You didn't. You practice, right? That, that's the idea. It's an archery term. It's, it, it, you could, you, even with a with, with gun that has a target with the bullseye, right? What he's saying is, sin, so sin is to miss the mark. Okay, here's what we do in our culture today. And this was a problem then, and it's a problem now. We don't want to talk about sin. Here's what we want to do. We want to fire our gun, shoot our bow in any direction, right? Put our life in any path. And then we want to walk to the target, take a Sharpie out, and draw the bullseye around the arrow. And and here's the issue. That will never work. You're just deceiving yourself. Because God's way always works. His truth, listen, truth is not invented by you. It's It's set in eternity by God, and it's revealed to you by God, or it's discovered through experience, Right? So we don't put the bullseye where it is on the target. Why are we talking about this? Because there are types of sin we've got to understand that if we don't deal with them, right, we will not have any light in our life. Okay, let me give you a definition for sin biblically. 
Sin is any action or attitude that falls short of God's standard. Okay, any action or attitude that does not hit God's target. Not your target, where he put it. His ideal. How many of you, by a show of hands, you've missed God's target? That, that's, it's okay, be two. If I had three hands, they'd all three be up. That, 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 it's not, listen, it's not about shame or condemnation, but you have to agree what the target is if you're ever going to get closer to it. By the way, the Bible says you'll spend your whole Christian life getting closer to God's target. The worst thing you can do is make your own target. The worst thing you can do is think that you can actually change God's target. So if we're talking about God's standard, well, what is God's standard? What, how do we break God's standard? Well, there are three types of sin. Three types of sin you and I struggle with every single day. The first kind is the most recognizable kind. It's the easiest kind to see. And it's sin of commission. These are the sins we commit. And, and the Bible's very, very clear about these. In Exodus chapter 20, there's 10 of them. There's 10 of them, and they are very, very obvious. They are very clear. The first five deal with your relationship with God. The second five deal with your relationship with people. Why would the first five deal with your relationship with God? Because you can never love people if you don't love God. God is love. What do you know about loving people? What do you know about compassion? What do you know about kindness? Why does the world keep trying to tell the church what kindness looks like? And they don't even love God. And then we fall for it. What's that about? Ten commandments, that's what they are. Sins of commission, the sins we commit. By the way, these are very simple. You break, listen, if you break one of them, they break you. Right? You wrap your car around them, they don't move. They're a barrier that will never move no matter how much our culture wants to change language, wants to reverse it. God created them male and female. That is never going to change. God instituted marriage. He was the first dad to walk his daughter down the aisle. Her name was Eve to be one with her husband, Adam. One man, one woman with God for life. That is marriage, right? That is the best way, by the way, that's the best way to raise kids, right? Marriage is actually for kids, not for you that are married. What? To create a stable environment. Everything that's going on right now is an attack against the family. That's not a coincidence. The devil loves to go after what is obvious in scripture, right? So sins of commission, they break you. You don't get to put them there. There's only 10, thank God, right? Come on. That's a lot for most of us. But the Pharisees, by the time, got, by the time Jesus got there, added a bunch of extra religious ones. It was like 600 and something. God said, no, 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 10 will do. Okay, very simple, right? And the first five deal with God and putting him first in your life. That's why I tell you, you need to make a priority this fall, this year, to not miss a week. By the way, there's so much more than just this. But you learn about everything else, starting with this. Start small, right? Start small. Best resolutions are ones you could actually achieve. Okay, start small, but put God first in your life. But the other ones are pretty simple, right? Like it's probably not good to murder people, just as a rule of thumb. Sometimes, I know, I feel you, I feel you. Sometimes, you know, what about this? It's not good to lie. That's, that's not good. You lie? I mean, by the way, you have to have a really good memory to remember everything that you lied about. But lying, probably not a good idea for us to be dishonest with each other constantly. It, it, by the way, that, the idea there is honesty. It, it, honesty is the best policy. That's biblical. But, but like, even if it's hard in the beginning, even if it's hard at first, it always keeps, this is why it says you have a problem with a brother or sister, go and be honest with them right away. Don't go to sleep. 
You keep going to sleep being angry with people. You wake up and you're angry. When you went to bed, you knew why. When you wake up, you're still angry, but you don't know why. Right? You got to just do the little, it's very simple. Don't covet what you didn't work for. Don't, don't think you deserve something without work. W-O-R-K. That came before sin. Work is good and godly. You're made to work. Right? That, 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 that seems normal. Like, like, this is a good one. Don't mess with another man's wife. Come on, somebody. That's pretty simple. Or else we're going to have a problem with the other one. Murder. Right? Come on. I mean, it's, these are axiomatic truths. They're, they're not commandments to you. They're better for you, for us. By the way, people are trashing on America all the time, trashing on the United States. I'm a history major. I didn't, I didn't go to theology, but I know what our country was founded on. And God used some messed up people to make it happen. Like, you know, God uses Nebuchadnezzar's. He probably used some white supremacists. He probably used some, you know, greedy politicians. He, by the way, he'll use us in spite of us sometimes. But make no mistake, the founders of this nation, they opened up their Bible and it was all founded on the Ten Commandments, the Judeo-Christian truth. Didn't mean that they always measured up to it, because they didn't. But you know what? That's what always corrected us. Right? They lined it up with that. You take that away and still pretend that there's a right or wrong, there's a good way to do something, and all you're going to end up with when you remove God is you're going to get government, and that's going to be your God. And that's what we've seen. What's the solution to every problem? It could not possibly be the nuclear family. It has to be a government welfare system. Well, you know what? Let us, let us get into healthcare. By the way, we're going to do a series called This Means War, Speaking Truth to a World That Lies. That's going to be right after this one. And we're going to talk about all of these things. Because, by the way, the people who have told us God doesn't care about whatever it is, God cares about everything you do. How you live your life moves in every other thing that you do. I had a pastor say God doesn't care how you vote. God knows the number of hair on your head. What do you mean he doesn't, he doesn't care about how you, he cares about everything you do, right? But it all goes back to this. We stop forgetting this. By the way, murder is murder, whether it's in the inner city or inside the womb, it's still murder. We have to agree on some things to be able to build and to be able to move forward. This is the same thing in our life. It starts with us. The next thing we see is sin of omission. These are the sins that we omit. These are the things that we know we should do it, but we don't do it. We know we should say it, but we don't say it. And I've learned this over time. Whatever, you, this, is why you have to un, this is why you have to go know God's word, because you have to know what the truth is. Because the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you about what to do in your life, in your situation. And if you don't know God's word, you're not going to know whether or not it's a truth or a lie. There are times we don't do what we know we should have done. I literally was at a tractor supply not too long ago. It's a great example of this. So the tractor supply, it was taking forever. I was in a hurry. We got chickens. That's another story. I was in a hurry. I didn't have time to deal with them. There was a massacre. You know, it was horrible. I had to go get some stuff. And, and I'm in line, and I got these tarps to cover. And as she was checking it out, checking them out, really, really slow, bless her heart, she had already got everything into the thing, and I looked over and I realized one of the tarps was a different size and a different price, but she rung up as twice. And in that moment, I'm going to tell you, I just, I, I just said, I got to go home. I'll deal with that later. And I just left, and I went home. The whole time I was thinking about it. The whole, it's silly. It was like, it's like $12. That, my time was worth at least that much. What do we do? We justify. I knew I was supposed to do it. I knew it was right. I knew about it. And I mean, I couldn't stand it. I finally had to take it back. And I just said, hey, just so you know, don't charge me everything back. 
that's like $20 more. But, but that's, that's what I mean. We have to learn to listen to our conscience. You know, for example, like, like sometimes you need two things I've learned. Sometimes like you, you have to have the courage to speak up when something needs to be said. You also have to have the maturity to grow up when something doesn't need to be said. It's both. And it's in that tension that we live, but it's all governed by what God says is true. Sins of omission. So we don't mind God on commission. We don't mind him on omission. Here's what happens. This is the worst sin of them all. This is a sin that's so difficult to detect. It's, this is the sin that you can feel that it's there, but you can't really, you don't really know what it is. And that's sins of disposition. This is an attitude sin, a worldview, a worldview, right? It's something that creeps in. By the way, there is no place for a secular worldview in a Christian church, no place. This is where you learn the, the, the biblical view so that you can fight and reject the worldview, right? It's so important. This, some of us, we have these attitudes, you know? We come in, we have these attitudes about church. We have these attitudes about pastors. We have these attitudes about race. We have these attitudes about economics. We have all these crazy attitudes that don't line up with scripture and we wanna bring them into the church. Here's what I've seen. Every single church that has ever walked away from scripture, they don't exist anymore. We just had a major mainline denomination disappear, dissolve. We'll probably be owning some of their buildings soon. Why is that? Because we're awesome? No, because we're never going to walk away from that book. It's the truth that, that people have stood on for thousands of years. It works when your life doesn't work. Anyways, y'all all right? Okay. Three responses. I'm going to give you three responses to sin, to staying in the light. Staying in light. Any, anytime you, 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 you put something in the light, you immediately eliminate. You, you eliminate those dark, ugly, swampy, wet, stinging, biting things. Back to the chicken coop. We have a little turtle in the bottom of this little chicken coop because we don't want it in the house anymore. His name's Red. He'll probably outlive all of us. And there's a little water bowl. It's kind of dark in this little corner. My wife hates going out there. Because every time she picks up that water bowl, roaches come out. Now, some of you ladies, listen, you've been taught something wrong about roaches. My wife, too. It's okay. She was taught that roaches are just, they're around filthy people. <laughs> she has a disgust sensitivity. Just, they're just, they're, no, they're not. It's really dry here right now. So if there's any water, okay, it's going to go to water. By the way, down in the south, like down in, uh, in uh, Louisiana, they don't even call them roaches. They call them water bugs. My wife's, mm-mm, that's a roach. <laughs> come on, somebody. <laughs> But why, are they, why do they do so well there, doing the little roach stuff? Because it's covered, and it's soggy, and it's wet, and they're just, just imagine that spiders are running out of it. I mean, little, just little, little roaches, you know, little, little things? <laughs> that only happens in the dark. It doesn't happen in the light. You know that because you like to go to the beach. Come on. What's at the beach? Light, baby. Come on. So much light, you may go to the gym afterwards. Come on, anybody. <laughs> what does that do? Light's good. It's godly. So how do we need to respond to darkness and sin? There's one bad response, two good responses in two minutes and 32 seconds. The bad response, we try to hide our sin. It is crazy to think we can hide our sin. God already knows everything. He's, he already knows every single thing. We try to hide our sin. First Peter tells us that when we're saved, God called us out of darkness into his light. First Thessalonians 5.5 5 says we are children of light. 
For your children of light, I'm going to read this passage from 1 John 1, 6. It says, If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. He's talking to Christians. Did you know as a believer this side of heaven, you are going to have to deal with the sin in your life. And once you overcome one, there's going to be another. And there's going to be another. You know, people have taught this for years. It's just wrong. Human beings were not made for heaven. That's not true theologically. God created us on the earth. Our first parents and every parent after that has screwed it up. The Bible says there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. My grandma loved to collect precious moments figurines. And they're really, really precious, but they're not biblical. You know, you don't get wings when you die if you're a human being. You're an image bearer of God. You were placed on earth to fulfill, to fill it, to subdue it, right? Did you know every struggle and trial you go through in this life is going to prepare you to rule and reign with Christ in the next? That's, the, that's just the Bible. There's a new heaven and a new earth. Imagine work without that mean, gripey boss. Imagine being able to, to work a full day and your back's not so sore and you don't need to just crash on the couch. Imagine that there's purpose. I don't understand how it all works, guys. We're three dimensions. God's, who knows how many dimensions God's are, God, God is? Who knows how much of God that sin has robbed from us? We don't know. But there's a hope there. The Bible says we're sojourners through this place. God already knows everything you struggle with. He ain't surprised. He already knows it. Look what it says in 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses all of us. Cleanses all of us. That's a bad way. Don't hide from God. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Proverbs 28, 13. The one who conceals his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. So two, two right, two right in 12 seconds. We need to acknowledge our sin. I'm gonna stop here for a minute. We don't need to cuddle with our sin. We don't need to like, we don't need, we don't, we don't need to like be defined by our sin. But we do need to acknowledge it. We need to acknowledge, you know what? Mm, did not hit the target that time. We need to acknowledge it was my fault, not God's fault. So I'm gonna move my life. I'm gonna switch my aim. Instead of moving the target, I'm gonna change my position. That makes sense. By the way, that's what we do in church. We change our position. What? To be more like Christ, to get closer to the target. First John 1, 7 and 9, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Before we confess our sin, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us. It's so important. As we close, I believe that if we acknowledge it and we stay in the light, here's what happens. I believe we can conquer our sins. We can, this side of heaven. We can conquer those things that hold us back. I love this passage, John 2, 1. My little children, I love that. How would you like it if I showed, if I started up, I showed up? You know, I'm almost 38 years old. That's only something a 30-something would even say. And I said, okay, listen, my little children. How would that make you feel? Here's what John's saying. The posture of a Christian is a learner. You know what's cool about kids? They don't gripe. They don't gossip. Until about 10 from experience. My point is little kids, they just go, man, okay, I'm going to try it. I think I can do it. They learn they can't do it. They don't start off that way. Right? He says, have the attitude of a kid who can learn. Don't be stuck in your ways. By the way, maturity is not measured in age. It's measured in humility and your ability to change. You may be an old dog, but you can learn some new tricks. You can. 
I love this, John 2, 1. My little children, I'm writing these things that you may not sin. You may not sin. Hey, hey, listen, the target is that you don't sin. How many of you think you're gonna hit that in the next 10 minutes? Maybe in the next 10 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, a day, a week, a month, a year. Eventually, we're gonna miss the target again. Look what he says. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Do you know why Jesus sent the advocate and the helper to earth. First of all, he sent it to be with us, to not leave us as orphans. So we would have the same spirit of God in us that raised him from the dead and performed all those miracles, that spoke to him what to do when we didn't know what to do. But there was another purpose. It's because Jesus had a job to do and it wasn't over yet. The Bible says that he ascended into heaven to prepare a place for us, but he also is seated at the right hand of the Father as an advocate or an attorney that every time the devil and you hear this you hear that you know the accuser you hear in your in your voice in your mind you hear it it's called self-talk most of it's the devil you're never going to be enough man you're never going to get over that people are never going to accept you you're never going to get to where i've called you you're never going to be good enough you know you're you're never going to be really loved you're never going to you're going to be just like your dad just like your whatever whatever your lie is that's the accuser bible says that's the devil Straight from the devil. By the way, when you accuse other brothers, you're cooperating with the devil. Period. And it says that Jesus is sitting next to God. And every time the devil read the book of Job, he did the same thing. Jesus wasn't sitting at the right hand of God then. The devil comes up and starts to accuse before God. And Jesus lifts his hands up. Says, do you see this hole? I have one over here too. Do you see this wound in my side. When I was on the cross, I paid for every one of their sins, past, present, and future. To make it practical for you, Jesus is literally like OJ's attorney. Come on, somebody. And he wins. Even when you're a piece of crap and I'm a piece of crap, he still wins. You can clap, come on. This is why the Bible says we can boldly approach God, not because we're good enough. We can boldly aim at that target again, even though we might miss it. We can boldly overcome sin so we can move on to the next one to overcome because we have an advocate sitting next to God who has our back 24-7. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the power of your word. I thank you, God, for what you're doing in our church family and in our lives. I thank you, God, for this future. You could have picked anyone to be in this time, in this place, but you picked us. You called us. You have a purpose for us as a son or daughter of you, as a husband and wife, as an aunt and uncle, a brother and sister, in the spiritual family of God, as a leader. Just like Esther, you've called us for such a time as this. And you never call people to a place that you do not prepare them and equip them to win because you're a winner. I pray, God, that we would continue to be shaped and molded by you. That, God, when there's something in our life that isn't going right, we wouldn't, we wouldn't blame you because it's not you. When we lose, it's us. And, but we would continue to put our minds and our hearts anchored to your word. His heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I also pray, Father, for anybody in here that doesn't know you. Maybe at one point in their life, Father, they walked with you, but 
and I'm walking with you today. I pray that by your Holy Spirit that we can plant the seeds of your word, we can water it, we can nourish it, but only you bring growth. I pray that you would convict that person to come back into the family of God or to take steps to surrender their life to you for the first time. His heads are bowed, eyes are closed. No one looking around for just a minute. We're almost done. If you're in here today and you say, Pastor, that's me. I'm far from God. I don't want to be. Listen, I need you to hear me say, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to single you out. I'm not going to do anything weird you might have seen on TV. But Jesus says in the Bible that if you acknowledge him before men, he'll acknowledge you before the Father. But if you do not acknowledge him before men, he will not acknowledge you before the Father. I think it's important that if you're in here and you're not being real in your faith, maybe you haven't even started your faith, maybe you need to restart your faith and get serious about it. I pray that you would make that decision to do so. As heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one looking around. If you're in here, you say, Pastor, that's me. Listen, I'm not gonna embarrass you, but I do think it's important between me, you, and God. You acknowledge that's me. If that's you, would you just put your hand up halfway? Put it right back down. I see you. I see you. Just put it, put it right back down. That's all it takes. You're acknowledging. That's me. You just acknowledge it. By the way, you're never the only one. The hands are growing up all over the room. You're acknowledging that you need him. And I believe that he's going to honor you in that. And we're going to pray all together. We're going to pray a prayer. It's really an act of free will. From the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 9, it says, Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Not you might be, but you will be. Because it's through this act of surrender and free will, you give permission for God to come into your life for the first time or to come into your life again. And your life will never be all that it was created to be apart from him. In a moment, we're going to pray a prayer. I want to encourage you, if you raise your hand, say this prayer loud enough to where you can hear your own voice and allow it to be an expression of why you raised your hand. I believe that on the other side of this prayer, God's going to give you a step. We're also going to give you some instructions for what you can do to grow up and into all that God's called you to be in his family, the church. But right now, we need to get this right. Church, we believe in what they're doing. As a matter of fact... We're all going to pray this prayer together really loud so as to encourage those people who are praying it for the first time or praying it again. Let's all pray this together. Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth, for living a perfect life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I believe that you are good and I believe you're God. I believe on the third day after you were killed I believe you resurrected from the dead I believe you defeated death once and for all to give me life once and for all today I choose that life of my own free will I make you my Lord my Savior and my King today is a new day lead me guide me show me what's next it's in your name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Come on, church. Let's put our hands together.